Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. I'm Todd Village. I'll be your host today. I'll be joined by Mason Plummer, as usual, here in a little bit. I'm a contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated. I also do some work for the Associated Press, UND.com, a couple other outfits. Mason, he writes for SlapTheSign.com, and he actually has a story out right now on the Notre Dame defensive end situation as they try to replace a couple good ones, a couple folks that are actually in Indy at the Combine right now, Julian Aquara and Khalid Kareem. We're going to talk about said Combine Spring ball opens next week, and then it takes a break. So we're going to hit on a couple items that we think are important to watch during the spring. And then also the men's hoops. Can't believe it, Mason. We're still talking about men's hoops being, I wouldn't say well, but certainly still alive for a potential NCAA tournament berth. So we'll get to all that. But as we start every show, I have a three-pack of blue gold nuggets. Mike Collins, the longtime PA voice of the Fighting Irish. He is retiring after the 2020 season. He's been there for 39 years. I got to know him a little bit. I've actually done a couple stories on him. Really cool guy. He will finish his career with 233 straight home games. He's been doing it since 1982. The funny thing about what brought Mike Collins into said position, you probably know Mike Collins best by here come the Irish when he starts a game there. He started in 1982 when two days before the opening game, his predecessor up and quit. And so they were in a pinch. The folks at Notre Dame were in a pinch to bring somebody in. They asked Collins to do it because they knew he had a little bit of PA history, but Collins failed to tell me he'd never done football before. Anyhow, it worked out great. Grew up in Pittsburgh. So Mike Collins spends his summer doing the Pittsburgh Pirate spring training game. So talk about a guy that has life by the you-know-what. All right, Mason, this one's a little bit up your alley here. Top offensive line recruit Rocco Spindler. He happened to be in Mexico. He was there vacationing with his father, Mark, and they stumbled across Lou Holtz, who was down there giving a speech, and the three of them talked at length. It was sort of interesting because Mark Spindler was actually recruited back in the day by Holtz, so there was a little bit of a relationship there, and they chatted quite a bit, got to know each other a little bit, and Holtz was obviously doing his marketing to bring Rocco, one of Notre Dame's top targets for next class. And rightfully so. Rocco ended up tweeting a little bit later on, like father, like son, with a picture of him, dad, and Holtz. Like father, like son. Could this be a sign? Needless to say, Mason, that had a lot of Notre Dame fans very excited because this guy is one of the top offensive line recruits in the country. Finally going to spin the last one here with a little bit of hoops. 6'11 center Juwan Durham and what his status is. He will graduate this spring, but he still has another year of eligibility that he could come back, he could return for, or he could take his talents with a grad transfer and go somewhere else. Didn't come right out and say it this week, but he said he plans to come back. Most likely, I think were the words he used, come back next year. And Notre Dame could certainly use him with John Mooney gone. I know Bray is doing everything thing he can to, to pimp Durham to get him back here. They won't have any bigs if Durham takes a grand transfer. They have two incoming freshmen, Elijah Taylor. He's a 6'8 kid out of Philly. And then Matt Zona, 6'9 out of Jersey. Two kids coming in. But, boy, when you're talking about immediate impact basketball players, it rarely happens in the post. And those are your blue gold nuggets. Okay, Mason, finally spring ball is here. Opens on March 5th. And then it takes a break until March 17th, 14 practices, and it will culminate on April 18th, 12.30 p.m. with the Blue Gold Game. 
Mason and I both came up with a couple of points that we believe are important. I'm going to start this off, Mason. Tommy Reese, the new offensive coordinator, what's that going to look like when he has Lance Taylor as his running game coordinator next to him? Certainly worked out well in the Camping World Bowl where they beat uh, Iowa State 33-9. to They had 37 rushes for 208 yards. And that's where I want to start, Mason, because I think if there's going to be any different look between Chip Long, the previous offensive coordinator, and Tom Reese, you're going to see more of a run-reliant game. Just felt like Notre Dame passed the ball too much. So, Mason, to me, this is going to be one to watch. How much different will the offense look compared to Chip Long to Tom Reese? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's going to look significantly different, and I think it's important to realize that Lance Lance Taylor isn't just the running back coach, but the running back's coordinator, meaning he has a big say in the offense. And I think that him and Tom Reese are going to work more – like close played together than people think. You know, it's the offensive coordinator solely. Right. So, and he's going to be, he's going to have Brian Kelly in his ear as well. So, I think with the talent Notre Dame has at running back, with Chris Tyree coming in as a freshman, I think it's going to be a run first approach, depending on how the running backs shake out. And uh, I think that's good for Notre Dame to go back to that. They had a lot of success in the past couple of years. Chip Long actually went 33 and 6 as offensive coordinator here. But that said, the six losses, the team only averaged 13.5 points in those six losses and never hit 20 points. And I'm glad you celebrated Taylor a little bit there because I think it's important to mention Brian Kelly loved the way Reese and Taylor worked together at the Camping World Bowl. And I believe that's part of the reason why he gave Taylor that promotion from just running backs coach to running game coordinator, as you mentioned. Almost equal amounts of rush versus pass, 473 rushing plays last season, 416 pass plays. That ratio seems a little bit off to me, but they were number 13 in scoring at 36.8, so we'll see if Tom Reese can keep up with that pace and maybe hopefully even improve on it because the top dogs in the NCAA, they easily get into the 40s. Mason, you had a couple. What's what's the first one you want to get to? I'm going to start with the quarterback position. I think that's going to be something that's really interesting to watch. Obviously, losing Troy Pride is a big loss for this team. He was he was pretty solid as a corner throughout his Northern career, and he's pretty heavily relied on this past season. The boundaries where you're going to find Sean Crawford, Cam Hart, Isaiah Rutherford, and Ramon Henderson. That's in the in the pecking order as I see fit at the moment. So the boundary corner is the guy. He's going to be on obviously on the boundary. He's going to take the opponent's best receiver. I don't find the boundary necessarily as interesting as I do the field corner. Sean Crawford should have that locked down, but he's been very injury prone in his Notre Dame career, and that leaves a ton of inexperience behind him. Isaiah Rutherford hasn't really had his chance yet right. as a sophomore, but a lot of people have said that it's possible that he transfers. So we'll see what happens with that, and then. Lastly, Ramon Henderson, you don't want to rely on a freshman coming in and play, and having significant playing time. But if it comes to it, I think Henderson is a great athlete and he would be capable. But like I said, you know, you want, a, you want a guy that's in the system and knows it pretty well. There's been some recruiting hiccups here, and I think this year it shows up very much. It's a thin group. They really can't take any injuries. That's right. And then losing Landon Bartleson on top of all of that, a guy that you did bring in who had a, had a pretty high ceiling, I think a high, high potential, but... Uh, yeah, losing him, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, so that's ugly. But as you're moving to the field corner position, that's one I'm really interested in seeing. Tariq Gracie should be the starter there, the junior, but sophomore KJ Wallace, hearing a lot of a lot of reports of him in the offseason and towards the end of last season where he was becoming a really impressive corner. He was a four-star recruit, obviously he's a sophomore, and then freshman Clarence Lewis, he's one of the guys we were talking about that in the thin recruiting class, Looks like he's going to slide in the third spot. 
I think the battle between Bracey and Wallace is going to be one that's really interesting to watch in spring practice. Pat. I'll be I'll be sure to try to get to some spring practices with you. That's somebody I really want to watch play, KJ Wallace. I think you're going to have a tough time kicking Bracey out of the starting lineup. Is there a case where perhaps Wallace shifts over to that other side and and maybe I, gives Crawford a run for his money? I, if something was to happen to Crawford, I think that is probably likely, considering I was talking about the lack of depth behind Sean Crawford. Um, KJ Wallace doesn't have a ton of experience on the boundary, but it's not that much of a difference. You're talking about cornerbacks. So whether that's Tree Gracie moving over or KJ Wallace, I think it's something that might be sorted out in the spring. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see, and I know that a lot of eyes are going to be on that position group, especially what's behind Bracey and Crawford. Good stuff there, Mason, for sure. I'm also curious about the running back position. You have a lot of names. Uh, there's a, a stable full of these guys, but what exactly do you have? Jafar Armstrong last year uh, struggled, obviously, as the starter was injured. I don't know how Notre Dame wants to handle these carries. I don't know if they're going to try to use a bunch of these guys if they're going to try to find a workhorse back in this, that's another position that I'm going to be interested to watch, Mason. I, I think Jafar Armstrong will get the nod to be the early starter, but I don't know that it's going to be all that difficult to dethrone him. A little bit scary going into the season, not really having a clear number one, but potentially that's you'll get a clear number one in the spring, and guys are really excited out, and you know, uh, competition like that will will breed the best running back, and you'll get. You'll get the best one out of the spring eventually, I think. I, you know, we're all curious about Tyree. Obviously, he won't be here in the spring, but I'm peeking ahead a little bit. In all honesty, he didn't play. He wasn't any kind of real workhorse back in high school. So I don't know that he's going to be able to come right in and we start talking about him maybe breaking Josh Adams' freshman running record of 835 yards. He'd set that in 2015. Certainly, Chris Tyree, there has to be a place for him, maybe at special teams with his game-breaking speed. Mason, you, you tipped me off on another one that you have, and I think it's as good a good one as well, the defensive ends. Right, yeah, the defensive ends. I put out an article on Slap the Sign this week. I believe it came out on Wednesday about the uh, the defensive end position. How do you rebound from losing Khaled Kareem and Julian Aquara, guys that are probably going to be drafted in the top three rounds of the NFL draft? Probably the, the one of the best defensive end duos never name seen in a long time. Probably the best defensive end duo in the country, I think. So, when you're, when you're looking at that, how do you possibly rebound from that when you're talking about depth? So first side we're going to talk about is the weak side defensive end position. You're looking at Dalen Hayes, who's that's great that he's coming back. He, he was injured in the Virginia game, tore, tore something in his shoulder. I right, believe. yeah, labor. Dalen Hayes, we just started on the weak side. Sophomore Isaiah Foskey is somebody you're hearing a lot of great things about heading into the spring. Foskey has the size, the speed, and the build to even challenge Hayes for playing time. Yeah, I, I think the best thing could have happened to Notre Dame and probably Dalen Hayes is his injury last year. You know, this kid was a five-star dude coming in from high school and just kind of got buried behind Aquara and Kareem. Now it's his chance to shine. He's a legit NFL prospect. So, again, if there's any kind of silver lining when it comes to a season-ending injury, I think Dalen Hayes is a poster child for that. What do you got on the other side? Looking to the strong side defensive end. Another graduate senior, a fifth-year guy, Addy Ogundeji. Love the guy. Doesn't really get talked about very often. I love the guy. I think he's a great player. And like I said, he doesn't he doesn't get talked about nearly enough. I think he's going to have a breakout season. Catch a lot of you know casual fans off guard that may not know his name. I think he has the potential to have a, a Julian Aquara like 2018 season. So then behind him, you have junior Justin Adamilola. Todd, what are your thoughts on the strong side 
Yeah, I already tipped you off. I love Ade. He's a great player. Actually, I thought he did a really nice job, especially as the season wore on last uh, in, in 2019. I thought he just played better and better, and I expect him to have a bust out. I liked your uh, 2018 Aquara comparison because I think that's very fair. To me, there's quite a bit of depth here. It's unproven depth, but certainly talent when you're talking about recruiting rankings and those types of things. A lot of people are worried, and for obviously good reason, when you're talking about losing Kareem and Aquara. But in all honesty, I, I think the reinforcements are in place for this unit to not really miss a beat. You and I have talked about it and just came out at the Combine this week. That's going to be my tr- transition to Combine talk. Nobody knew it because he never said it or complained about it, but Khalid Kareem, was, he was playing with a torn labrum himself over the last three games and on into the bowl game. It needed surgery to repair. He didn't want to bail out on the team because he knew they were short-staffed at that position with Dalen Hayes on the shelf. So he stuck it out and played with a torn shoulder. And maybe that speaks to some of his slip in production or maybe didn't get to the production we expected him to. But it goes to show you what a warrior he is. You know, Once the regular season was over and it was diagnosed after the Stanford game and it was said, look, you need surgery, I think most players that are looking for an NFL career would have said, all right, let's do it now skip the bowl game, time to shut it down. Instead, he practiced, stuck with the team, and played in the bowl game. And I thought that was very admirable of him, and I think it speaks to his character, don't you, Mason? Absolutely. you you got to imagine that, a lot, that guys thinking about their future, maybe only thinking of themselves, would, would really think about just having that surgery after a Stanford game, like you said. But Kareem's always been a, a team-first kind of guy. You can tell that from the interviews we got with him. Uh, he makes really sees as a brotherhood, like a, you know, like a family. And if he was to bail out on them, it just wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't be the right way for him to go out of his not out of his Notre Dame career. So I think it's yeah, it is very admirable the way he the way he ended his Notre Dame career, no doubt. All right. Speaking of Warriors, Chase Claypool waiting at six four two thirty eight, and we'll talk about this in a second. Created a lot of rumblings, and he's trying to put weight on to become a tight end in the NFL. And that was before he ran his forty. So everybody's like, oh, he's up, because uh, he was 229 at the Senior Bowl, so he had put on nine pounds, and I actually have an audio clip here explaining what happened there on that weight difference. 6'4", 238, that is beast mo right there. And then he goes out, everybody thinks he's going to run close to five in, in the 40-yard dash, and he bust out a 4.42, which is uh, was the seventh fastest among the 45 wide receivers that ran, and none of them are built like him, trust me, none of the six ahead of him. You know, there's only been three Notre Dame players in the last 10 years at the Combine or Pro Day to run faster than Claypool's 4-4-2 as far as receivers, or actually as far as any player is concerned. Uh, Will Fuller in 2016 ran a 4.32. Darren Walls, cornerback at Notre Dame's Pro Day in 2016, ran a 4.39. And Bennett Jackson, another defensive back in 2011, ran a 4.40. Actually, Claypool's 4.42 tied Golden Tate, which is hard to believe, from 2010, and Miles Boykin, which is also hard to believe, from last season, 2019. I personally think, Mason, that this guy is a legit first-round draft pick. I really do, because he can play special teams, he can block, he's huge, he runs well, has great hands. He is really doing himself some favors here at this combine. Absolutely, and I think it's really a testament to what Matt Bayless and the strength team at Notre Dame is doing. To get a guy that size running back quickly, that's really a testament to the work that they're putting in with all the student-athletes in Notre Dame. And I think Claypool has really solidified himself as a top 50 pick. You can almost book that at this point. And that was something we talked about for weeks on end, how well Miles Boykin performed at the Combine. And Chase Claypool isn't even done yet. 
And I don't even think you mentioned, Todd, the 19 reps on the bench press. This guy's insanely strong, insanely quick. He seems like Calvin Johnson coming out of college, don't you think? Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's pretty good actually, and yeah, I'm glad you brought up the bench press because that was uh, fifth among the wide receivers as well. So uh, uh, not only yeah, strong, fast. Talk about the whole package here. The guy is the real deal, and I do want to pop in this clip because once he weighed in at 238, all the rumors, all the questions were like, oh, he's going to become a tight end. Which the way teams are using NFL teams are using their tight ends now, they do look like a little bit more athletic. It made a little bit of sense, but once. Chase Claypool ran his 4.42. He kind of squashed our rumors there, and here's Claypool. I, I really haven't put a lot of thought in that because I've been a receiver this whole time. Um, but it's something that I think could add versatility to my game. But uh, right now I'm just focused on you know kind of being the best receiver. I, can. I would say I weighed in kind of light at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I didn't really eat anything uh, before the weigh-in or drink anything. Um, so I was probably more 233 that time. And then I was super hydrated uh, for this win because of the travel, just co- cross country, and um, obviously for the things that we're going to do. So I would say uh, weighing light at the Senior Bowl and a little heavy here, um, but you know I'm kind of back down to my natural weight, which is closer to 230. So that explains some of the weight uh, gain, I guess you'd call it. He is hell bent on being a wide receiver, and I think that's where he belongs. Another guy having a nice combine. He's going to do everything down there. He's done everything down there, I believe, except for he's not going to bench press. Cole Komet certainly solidified himself as the number one tight end. Uh, ran the four, ran a four seven forty, which was fourth fastest among all tight ends. And just to show his athleticism, had a thirty seven inch vertical jump, which was first in his position group, and a ten point three, a ten foot point three broad jump, which tied for second. So he certainly had also had a great combine. Chris Fink really needed to shine. Another Notre Dame wide receiver, undersized, obviously. He needed to shine big time in the 40-yard dash, and he did not do it. He ran a 4.57, so um, I was a little bit surprised he even got an invite. And I wonder if the Combine people are a little bit surprised they gave him one now. So he didn't do he, he, he didn't have a great showing, but you didn't really expect him to. I'm not trying to dog out on Fink. Had seven on the bench press. Really, Kareem and Aquara, they're still recovering from injuries. We mentioned the shoulder for Kareem. Obviously, Aquara still working on the broken fibia. They're not doing anything. They're just down there doing uh, interviews. They're going to perform at the pro day, at least they hope to, which I believe is tentatively tentatively scheduled for April 1st here at Notre Dame. Uh, A couple other guys worth mentioning. Gilman, and as we're taping this on Friday, some of these guys, these defensive backs, haven't really gotten into their workouts all that much. But uh, Jalen Elliott, safety, he's, he's going to get drafted, but certainly will be maybe a practice squad player. Uh, Alohi Gilman, they're calling him a backup coming out. He hasn't done much yet, hasn't had a chance. Tony Jones Jr., disappointed a little bit, hadn't, didn't do much, but only put the bench up 13 times. I think they wanted more strength out of him. And Troy Pride Jr., another guy. We're waiting to see him run. That's going to be exciting. He's promising a 4-2 when he gets a chance to run, so we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, but those uh, those defensive backs, they haven't had a chance to showcase much yet, Mason. Anything else jump at you at this combine at this point? I think that's about it. You really hit the nail on the head about Troy Pride Jr., and nobody else I'm really excited about. The guy that really thought we're going to shine, we're committing playful, and they did just that. Um, yeah, a couple of disappointments, as you said. I really didn't think think would run that slow, but, you know, it's, you can't expect a ton from Fink at that point. He's more of a possession kind of wide receiver. But, yeah, Troy Pride, I can't wait to see him run. If he really runs a 4-2, that's going to see him skyrocket. Yeah, he, he's, he's vowing it. He's promising it. So uh, uh, that'll definitely be fun to watch, and that'll be coming up here in the next couple of days, so we'll get a chance to talk about it next week.
I want to get to men's hoops here because the men are rolling along a little bit. Another miracle win against Boston College the other night. Last second, T.J. Gibbs, little floater in the lane for a 62-61 win. Their second buzzer-beating win in the last three games. Uh, the first one against North Carolina, Nate Lashevsky with the three-pointer. Then an easy win over Miami, and now uh, another buzzer beater against Boston College. That sets up a game this weekend against Wake Forest. Notre Dame 18 and 10 overall, now 9 and 8 in conference play. They hadn't been over 500 in conference play in, in two years. But everybody says they still need to win out. They still need to win out, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. But again, Wake Forest Saturday, and then they get the big one. The big one is coming up on Wednesday of next week when number 6 Florida State comes to town. That's that quad one win. I'm going to break down this quad a little bit more for you here and explain it. The NCAA puts every game you play into quads. Quad one, those are the biggies. Those are the ones that are going to grab the selection committee's attention the most. They're the high-quality teams. They also add some emphasis for neutral site and road games. At this point, Notre Dame only has one. They have one quad, one win, which uh, that's what's dragging them down a little bit, and that was at Syracuse. It does have two quad two victories at Clemson and at Georgia Tech, so at least three of their quad one and two wins, which isn't a huge long list, obviously, are on the road, and that'll help. They're three and nine. Notre Dame is three and nine overall in these quad one two games, but six of those losses came by five points or fewer which maybe the committee takes that into consideration now that Notre Dame is kind of turning things around here. Okay, we know this about the ACC. Florida State, Louisville, Duke, and Virginia, they're going to be in. They're going to be in, the four. Sort of comes down to Notre Dame, Syracuse, and NC State. Can all of them make it? I doubt it. Can one of them make it? Probably. Can two of them make it? Maybe. We'll have to wait and see. And that's what we're going to be keeping an eye on here the rest of the way. But at least for right now, Mike Bray is trying to stay in the moment, and rightfully so, but he knows his team's looking ahead. So they're kind of looking big picture. They're trying to balance one game at a time with some big picture stuff, and he certainly has that Florida State game on his mind and looking ahead a little bit there as well. We have work to do. I've explained that to him. Um, we have more to do, but there's. I'm thrilled we're in the position we're in. Rule of thumb, general rule of thumb, whether a team is, whether a league is up or down or it's this or it's that, a power five, that mm-hmm. is. If you have a winning record in a power five league, you're, you're going to be on the board somewhere and and then you got to look on the flight to Greensboro and go, okay, we probably got to do this to really be considered. There's no question, and, and again, I think our guys are smart enough, we're not looking ahead. Next Wednesday night, a quad one opportunity is huge for us. And, and, uh, um, but if, if, you, if you keep winning down the stretch, whether it's quad ones or quad twos or quad threes, you, you start to get into the mix and you, you, it, it kind of works itself out. Okay, Mason, so there you have it. Mike Bray trying to do his coach thing one at a time, but certainly looking for that Florida State game, and I can't wait. That's going to be a raucous atmosphere there. I mentioned those three teams that I think at least one will get in, and I think possibly two. Right now, Joe Lenardi and Jerry Palm both have NC State in as one of the last four teams, and that because that's because they have five quad one wins. Meanwhile, Syracuse has almost a... It's almost an identical profile to Notre Dame. They have five quad one and two wins, so it's a slightly better than Notre Dame. Notre Dame has the three. But neither NC State nor Syracuse gets the chance to play a Florida State. 
a number six team in the country. Now, I say that NC State has to go to Duke, so if they could pull that one off, that would certainly solidify a place for them. Mason, three games left. Okay, here we go. Wake Forest, home against Florida State, and then home against Virginia Tech. Two questions for you. First of all, do you think Notre Dame can win all three of these? And second, do you think 12-8, and eight, even if they don't do anything in the, in the ACC tournament the following week, do you think 12-8 and eight is good enough to get them in? Firstly, I think they can win if T.J. Gibbs keeps shooting the ball like he has been, besides, well, I guess, minus against Boston College because he was dreadful against Boston College, but before that he was on fire. Right, right. And then if the three, if the three ball is falling, their name's kind of been heavily reliant on the three ball, again, like Leshevsky, Goodwin, Mooney going from three as well as Prentice Hub, actually. He likes to chuck up a couple. And then I think, so say you do win all three, I still think Notre Dame has to make some sort of a run in the ACC tournament. I don't think it's enough. You get, if you get bounced in the first round, that's ugly. Yeah, the, the thing about it is if they would go to that 12-8 and eight and finish that way, it appears they would get a first-round bye, so they would start in the quarterfinal round. I think, okay, if they win out and they still get a quarterfinal win, I, that has to put them in. I mean, give me a break, especially with the way they're playing down the stretch. You know, the, what, what is it right now? They've already won six of eight. So when you, when you start looking at that, by the time it, when you finish it up here, what are you looking at, nine of, nine of 11? Um, so I think you have to look at a little bit of mojo and momentum being on Notre Dame's side as well. Mason, I better make a quick flyby hoops here, the women's hoops. 12 and 17. Overall, 7-10 and 10 in conference. They've now won two in a row, and that includes an 83-65 win Thursday here at home on senior day against North Carolina. Good for them. The girls really had a rough year, and, and to end at least on a high note there at home had to be nice. They finished their regular season Sunday at Florida State. They will play then in the ACC tournament next week, and that will be a wrap when they get beat in that. Hockey had a nice two-game sweep of Michigan in Ann Arbor last weekend. So maybe a little bit of mojo for them as we head into the Big Ten tournament, something they're going to have to win if they want to get to the NCAA tournament because the Irish hockey is 14 wins, 12 losses, 6 ties this this year. So that's not necessarily going to be good enough to get any kind of at-large bid there. They'll play Michigan State at home this weekend, and then the Big Ten tournament to follow. Mason, we are out of time, man. That flew by as usual. Uh, What do you got going this weekend? weekend seeing the family it's my first time i've been home in about two months so uh my mom's been badgering me about getting home <laughs> so i'm doing that and then i take off for mexico on monday oh there spring you break. go ah spring break way to go well if you have time to free up for uh some hot wings or something this weekend i'll be around all right drop me a note yeah we'll do for sure thanks Todd. all right you can find mason Plummer at mason Plummer six numeral six on twitter and slap the sign.com again he has a, a nice article posted right now giving you the defensive end breakdown for the Irish. I'm Todd Burlidge. You can find me at Todd Burlidge. Thank you to D.O. McComb Sons for sponsoring our show out of Fort Wayne, Indiana there. And we will join you all again next week. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.